I'm Father Mitch Paqua, and welcome to Scripture and Tradition, where we talk about the Word of God through the lens of sacred tradition. Now, of course, we'd love having you be part of the show. You can do that by adding your questions or comments through calling during the live program, which is on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And the phone number you can call in North America is 1-800-221-9460. 1-800-221-9460. If you are outside North America, that won't work. So you can call country code 1, area code 205 271 You can also send us your questions and comments by email by writing to scriptureandtradition at ewtn.com. Scriptureandtradition at ewtn.com or follow us and participate with the show on Facebook and YouTube. Today, we will look at the interaction between Jesus Christ, our Lord, and John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And we are looking at Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. We want to take a look at John's confusion that Jesus needs to be baptized by John instead of the other way around. And we'll take a look at why. Now, we'll be using as a book that, uh, as a guide, the book that I wrote, uh, it's called Praying the Gospels. Jesus launches his public ministry. And you can get this book over at EWTNRC.com. It is item number 52687. 52687. I give the scripture passages and meditations that I'm reflecting on here as we go through this program. So it may be helpful to you to have. As well as helpful in praying about these passages uh, otherwise. So here we are dealing with the third meditation on the whole scene of the baptism, which is John's confusion. In Matthew 3.14, we see our Lord say, well, it's actually John said there um, that he would have prevented Jesus from being baptized. And he says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Okay. So that's where we're starting off. Now, let's take a look at this verse. John is feeling a certain amount of confusion. He had already been preaching to the crowds that came to him at the Jordan. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he wrote, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, 
this is where St. John in great humility had recognized the superiority of the baptism that would be done by the Messiah. That he recognizes that superiority. And he would like to get that better baptism, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. And yet we see here that Jesus our Lord comes to be baptized by John. And he is also meeting John's humility that recognizes the superiority of Jesus' baptism. Jesus meets that humility with an even greater one by allowing himself to submit to baptism. So this is something that is beyond John's ability to understand. John doesn't get it. And I want us to reflect on this because there are a lot of people in the Gospels who do not understand what the Lord is doing. They don't get it. They just don't understand. They don't comprehend this. And it's not a matter of their vice that underlies it. It's not because they're so bad. Take a look at how St. Joseph does not understand how the Virgin Mary, his betrothed, would be with child, and it's not his child. And it's in that experience that we see St. Joseph very much has to be given a revelation from God. The angel has to come and explain that the virgin conceiving and bearing a son is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And again, it's still, we suspect, because Joseph doesn't give his thoughts on that, but it would have been very confusing. Similarly, Our Lady does not quite understand when the angel appears to her and says that you'll conceive and bear a son. And she says, well, how will I conceive since I do not know man? And she's, she's wondering what, how this will be. What does she have to do? And this is something she doesn't understand. We also see that she doesn't understand why the shepherds had come. You know, she had to ponder these things in her heart, but she didn't quite understand them. And especially when Christ as a child is lost in the temple, she doesn't understand, and she has to contemplate this. Now, it's very important for us to see that St. Joseph, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and St. John the Baptist are not 
incomprehending because of their sin, hardly. These are some of the holiest people that there ever were, and Our Lady is the holiest person apart from Christ himself. So this is something that is part of humanity to not fully understand. And yet they have to live out their role in the fulfillment of Christ's mission. They each had a role to play. And even though they did not understand why the Lord would do these things, why be conceived in a virgin, why, you know, get lost in the temple, why should the Messiah baptize John the Baptist? It doesn't grab their mind that they understand. And yet, it is up to them to accept this without understanding and do their part in the role of God. This is a very important element in this part of the passage. And we can consider, this is something I'd like us then to bring to our own prayer. Consider, if the Blessed Virgin Mary did not understand what God was doing. If St. Joseph had trouble understanding, and if St. John the Baptist had trouble understanding, then why should we be surprised when we do not understand why God is doing certain things or allowing certain things in our own lives? We don't see how this makes sense. But that doesn't stop God's plan from going forward. His plan doesn't happen because I comprehend it. It happens because He comprehends it. And it's something beyond my own ability. It's something that we should consider from our own lives. Think back on some of the times when you have had uh, perhaps even your best moments, those times when we are really trying to find the will of God. We, we say, Lord, I want to do what you want. And even in those best of moments, we rarely have clarity about what God is going to do exactly. When somebody realizes, for instance, that they have a vocation to be married and they go ahead and propose and accept the proposal and go ahead and get married, do you think that once they take their vows to be married and they're doing God's will, that then they understand everything that's going to happen to them? Not the married couples I know. The plans that they make don't always work out exactly as they had first thought. And you don't know, you may have your own ideas of what kind of child you would have. But your kids are going to be a surprise because you don't create their personality. They come to you with a personal character. And you have to learn to deal with it. 
And sometimes people get very angry when their plans don't go just as they had thought. Sometimes they get confused and frustrated when they don't understand and they get angry. They really do. Um, we sometimes get mad at the situation and some people get very angry at God. This happens often enough. Now, one of the things, though, that like, especially you seasoned citizens, you seasoned, we seasoned citizens, I'm one of them. So I'm still having trouble getting the older folks to accept me as an old guy. They say, nah, you're not old. But the middle-aged guys say, nah, you're too old for us. I feel like a tween. I'm in between old age and middle age. At any rate, stop complaining. The, the thing that we have to do is take a look back on life when we've had these experiences and how we can sometimes look back and find that what looked like a bad turn of events, a mistake by us sometimes, sometimes even something sinful that we did wrong, that when we turn back to God or as we stayed faithful to God, even when we made a good plan, stayed pretty good and followed that plan as best we could and it doesn't go right, sometimes after a number of years, we can begin to see how it did turn out way better than we had ever dreamed or planned. This is when we can meditate on St. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he wrote, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. This is a very important verse because there are a lot of things that we don't like, we didn't plan, we didn't want to happen, but it does. And then... There are also some people who are like St. John the Baptist and St. Joseph who died before they saw things work out for the good. But that didn't stop them from trusting. They may have had questions later on in the gospel. St. John will send his disciples to Jesus right before he's executed and say, you know, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come? And, you know, our Lord answers him back, yes. And so he trusts. He trusts. But he doesn't see the fulfillment during this life. And that also happens to many people. But they die trusting in God. And this is where their sanctity is. That's why it's St. John the Baptist and St. Joseph. So we have to you know, pay close attention to this in our own lives. That, you know, ask ourselves, when we saw a decision that we made, something we believed really was God's will. When we're at our best, we really are trying to do God's will and we see God's plan start to unfold in front of us. 
for our marriages, for my priestly vocation, and so on. We have to ask, did things turn out the way I planned? I would say no. Not for me, I didn't. Uh, for one thing, I never planned on working in television. Never occurred to me. Wasn't part of my vision at all. I, as a matter of fact, at, at different stages, I didn't even think I'd be uh, an academic or college teacher, college professor. Didn't occur to me. But a variety of things go on. Some of them very painful and tragic, and some of them, you know, um, disappointing. You know, certainly uh, when my superiors sent me to go teach in a high school, I did not want to go. I did not like the idea of teaching high school students at all. Uh, I was very disinterested in that kind of work, and they sent me, and yet, when I look back years later, I realized that was where I learned how to teach. Those young men were very important to teach me a lot about teaching. And there were a lot of other changes in me that went on because I was teaching at a high school. And it, I look back on it now. And I see this was something that worked out well. And this is true for lots and lots of other elements in life. So this is something that we have to pay close attention to. And then another question we should ask, when we were going through this, could we pray from Romans 8, verse 28? Could we say, that we believe that everything works out for the good for those who love God. Did, in other words, did, was I able to trust in God's providence? I've known lots of married couples, including my own parents, who, in retrospect, look back on having kids in the early 50s and raising us and such. And they look back and said, I don't know how we did it. We didn't have the money and yet we didn't go hungry and we always had a place to live. And we always had clothes on our back. And they, but they'll say, we still don't know how we did it. This had to be God. That's often what I, that's what I mean by looking back in God's providence. And like St. Joseph, like Our Lady, like St. John the Baptist, we need to trust in God's providence to take care of these situations and just keep trusting and see what it is that the Lord does to make it all turn out for the good as we learn to love God. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll take a look at the next verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. So please stay with us.
All right. Let's now take a look at the next verse, Matthew 3.15, where Jesus responds to John the Baptist by saying, Let it be so for now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is a very interesting verse. Let's take it and look at different parts of it. Remember that Jesus responded to John's deference. John wanted to be baptized by Jesus. And Jesus goes to John and says to him that he has to, it's proper to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus could have baptized John with the Holy Spirit with fire. But for now, for now, the time for all righteousness to be fulfilled was uh, not yet present. Now, this gets at something very important. First, our Lord sees himself as constantly fulfilling something else. He fulfills prophecies from the Old Testament constantly. For instance, we already mentioned that he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 7, verse 14, that he would be born of a virgin. That was already there. His return from Egypt fulfilled a prophecy. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, we see that he fulfills the prophecy of healing that came from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. We also see that he is called a gentle Messiah who did not shout and did not break a bruised reed. That fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah 42. The Lord rides a donkey on Palm Sunday in fulfillment of a prophecy from, from the book of Zechariah. And this goes on and on because our Lord taught during the Sermon on the Mount, think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's what he said in Matthew 5, 17. So fulfillment of the law and the prophets is his very identity. And he does this many times and it states it many times in the gospel. Secondly, our Lord also came to fulfill the will of his heavenly Father. Very frequently, we see our Lord say in John's gospel, especially John chapter 4, verse 32, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's his job. John 6, verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 5, verse 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not as I will, but as you will. He came to fulfill the will of his heavenly Father. So that's another aspect of his fulfillment. And now he's also here to fulfill all righteousness. 
and both the prophecies of the Old Testament and the will of the Father in his mission in the New Testament. Then we also see that our Lord will predict many actions, his own actions and other events. And his task is to fulfill those predictions. He predicted three times that he would suffer, die on a cross, and be buried, and rise again. And that this is how he would redeem the world. And fulfilling that prediction was key to his whole mission. But it is also in his suffering, death, burial, and resurrection that he gives us the gift of righteousness. And this fulfills all righteousness. And in fact, it'll be true that baptism and all the other sacraments are able to be effective in bestowing righteousness upon us because Christ fulfilled all righteousness in being baptized himself and then later on in fulfilling the predictions he made about his saving death and glorious resurrection. And they're only effective because Christ accomplished that righteousness. That's where the power of baptism comes from. And that's not my personal feeling. My personal feelings are irrelevant. It is rather the teaching of Scripture itself. That's why St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body may be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. This is key that baptism is baptism into the death of Christ, which is the source of our righteousness. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, St. Peter wrote, by the way, today is the feast of uh, St. Peter's chair. St. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 21, and baptism, which this prefigured, now serves you not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. And baptism now saves you. Baptism now saves you. That's the power that it has. And this is extremely important. And because our baptism is so powerful, as to now, right now, even though you've been baptized, it is an ongoing source of grace for your salvation and mine. 
This is something that we ought to consider. Do you know the date of your baptism? Do you ever celebrate the anniversary of your baptism? I had to look it up when I was 19 and was joining my order, the Jesuits. I had to have my baptismal records before I could enter the society and give it to the society so they could put on there that I was now a religious. That would make it impossible for me to be married in the church because when you get married, they also ask for your baptism record. They want to say, oh, you're a Jesuit? Well, what are you doing here? Uh, you can't be married. That, that's, uh, keep, we keep these records. Or you've been married already and you want to get married again? Did your wife die? What, what's going on? So we find, well, you can find out your baptism date. As it turns out, for me, I have a sort of a cool situation that my baptism anniversary is the date of my entrance into the Jesuits. So August 21st is the date of uh, anniversary of my baptism and of my becoming a Jesuit. So I get to celebrate both. And you celebrate it by remembering what St. Peter said, baptism now saves you. So consider that this righteousness of Christ is occurring in your soul and it begins this process of forgiving original sin and be, goes on with the other sins later on in life. It's an instinct of faith that gets you, uh, gives you a drive to want to learn more of the faith. And what we can do, this would be a good meditation, examine our own conscience and ask ourselves, um, how do I cooperate with this gift of all righteousness that Christ gives me. A righteousness that Christ won for me by dying on the cross. And we can ask ourselves, do I cooperate with God's graces to avoid sin during this life as I continue on? And as a baptized Catholic, do I recognize that I have a citizenship in heaven? This gives me an eternal citizenship. And do, how do I rank my citizenship in heaven with my citizenship here on earth? I love being an American. But eventually that's not going to be nearly so relevant as being a citizen of heaven. And again, that idea of citizenship in heaven is not my idea. St. Paul writes about that multiple times. Because I receive this gift of baptism and the righteousness that Christ bestows, I have to ask, do I seek his kingdom first and his righteousness? Remember the line in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is very important to keep as your highest priority. And this flows from fulfilling the righteousness that comes to us in baptism. So we can begin to understand that righteousness 
in that light. And we do well to do so. We'll stop there. Next week, I want to do two more meditations on our Lord's baptism. The actual being baptized itself that Christ uh, undergoes and uh, you know what happens in the revelation of the Blessed Trinity. So hopefully um, y'all will be able to be here with us. Until then, let us now take a look at some of the questions you have. First, we have a caller, Anastasia. Yeah, Father, thanks for taking my call. Sure, where are you calling from? Ohio. Great, Why, don't say it like that. Ohio! <laughs> It's not too bad today. It's a little rainy, but it's not cold. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is February in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's been a few Februarys up there up myself. The <laughs> so what can we do for you today? Okay. Uh, the Monday reading, February 7th, mm -hmm. uh, from the first book of Kings, mm -hmm. chapter 8, verse, I don't know what verse it is, but it was talking about the elders of Israel and King Solomon they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and it said here, there was nothing in the Ark but the two stone tablets which Moses had put there in Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children mm -hmm. of Israel at their departure from the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there also supposed to be um, a measure of manna and the staff of Aaron? I know there was, that That's was right. in there at one time. Right. Do you know when that disappeared? We don't see when that disappears, but here, here's what we do know, that the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites at the Battle of Aphek, and they took it to their own country, and they opened it. Now, they got a plague as a result, if you want to take a look at that, that's in 1 Samuel. I believe it'd be in chapter 5. I believe it, uh, yeah, chapter 5. And the Ark of the Covenant is lost. And at first, the Philistines don't understand why they're suffering this. And then they put the Ark into a cart led by two milk cows whose, whose calves were kept in Philistia. And they said, if the calves stay here, then, which would have been natural, if they stay here with their calves so they can continue to nurse them, then it, it's, it's not from God. But if the calf, if the two cows take the ark to Israel, then God is the one who has brought this plague of us. And by the way, the plague is, um, was apparently a plague of hemorrhoids. Um, they, that's what it says in the Hebrew text uh, later on. Uh, it's 1 Samuel 4, not 5. 5 continues the story, but 1 Samuel 4. Um, and uh, they, they got these plagues and they sent it back. But they may well be the ones, because I believe that the manna that had been inside it was in a golden jug. And I would not be surprised that they would not have tried to keep that golden jug. 
So that, and they may even have tried to keep the staff of Aaron that had been put in there as well because they might see it as something that would have that uh, power. Okay, hopefully that'll help you, Anastasia. I have an email from uh, Ismail. Dear Father Mitch, you mentioned that John the Baptist might have been an orphan as Elizabeth and Zechariah may have passed away during his childhood. If that is the case, did Jesus and John know each other as relatives? Ismail. Ismail, we, we have no way to know that. There is no recorded instance of them meeting or discussing anything prior to meeting at the baptism. We just don't know. And uh, it would be something that is just left silent. And so when something is kept silent like that, I tend to do the same. I don't like to speculate when there is that silence in the gospel. Now, I'm sure that there are people who write novels to try to fill in these gaps. Um, and that's, that's a, a very strong human tendency. Um, many of the stories in the Midrash are filling in the blanks kind of stories, but there's no evidence in the biblical text. So I, I don't speculate on those things. Um, and we just don't know if they had any contact. My own suspicion, I think I mentioned this, from the way that John acts and the way he dresses, and so, etc., he may well have been raised by the Essenes near the Dead Sea because they typically took in orphans, especially orphans of priests. And his father was a priest. Father Zechariah was a priest. So they may well have taken him in as an orphan. So um, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But even that's a bit of speculation, educated uh, guess um, with some good likelihood uh, since he stayed close to a scene settlements and dressed and acted like them. But um, it was celibate like they were. But that's as much as we can say. Okay, so we have to be careful. All right, take a little break. We'll be back with more of your questions and comments. So please stay with us. Welcome back. Now, I just want to remind you that tomorrow night on EWTN Live, which is 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be talking with Father Bill Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. And we want to talk about what it means to stand strong in the faith, even when you're living in an age of apostasy, which means people are giving up faith and running around doing their own stuff. So that's... That's very important. Um, 
All right, so hopefully we'll see you there watching with Father Billy. Many of you know him from the network as well. We have another caller on the line. Mona, where are you calling from? Uh, from Texas. Where from in Texas? Uh, near Galveston Island. Oh. Okay, all right. You're sort of by the wet part of Texas. Yes. <laughs> Good to have you with us, Mona. And what is your question? Or comment. Yes, Father, uh, my grandchildren uh, were invited to a non-denominational um, service, and they went with their friends, and this uh, preacher was saying that Mary is of sin, mm -hmm. and that uh, Jesus had brothers, and that um, Joseph had relations after she delivered Jesus uh, mm -hmm. with Mary. And mm -hmm. I try to tell them that that is not so. She's immaculate. She's a virgin and all, and they're mm -hmm. not buying it. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm asking you to give me some proof, uh, and so I can uh, satisfy my grandchildren and also all of the others that believe the same. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, a um, couple things about you know, the, this question. Let's take a look first, because the minister is starting off with Mary having other children, right? Moni, you still there? Referring and referring that she is of sin. Right, Why I know, but, let, but here's where you want to start off, is okay. that uh, Mary had other kids, and... Yes. That, that's a very important place to start. Let me just take a look here. Um, the brothers and sisters of Jesus are named in the gospel, right? Yes. If you take a look at Matthew 15. Um, 15, uh, yes. Yeah, you, you take a look there. Um, mm -hmm. And also Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter Mark. 6, verses uh -huh. 1 and following, especially in verse 3, it says, is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Right? Those are his brothers. They're named. Mm -hmm. And are not his sisters here with us? Now, then... We can take a look, and, and the same names show up in Matthew. Um, if you take a look at Matthew 27, verse 56, and I'd write that down if you could. Matthew 27, verse 56, it says, Among the people standing at the cross were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of the oh. sons of Zebedee. Also in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, it said, There are also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joses and Salome. And then, now let's take a look at one more verse. In John chapter 19, verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's 
sister Mary, the Thank wife you. of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. So there is this woman named Mary standing next to the Blessed Virgin Mary and Mary Magdalene. So there are three women named Mary, a very common name among Jewish people because Moses' sister was named Mariam. Uh-huh. Yes. So this is a very common name. And Mary is our English form, but in the Greek text and in uh, Hebrew and in Arabic too, it, she's called Mariam, yes. just like Moses' sister. And there are three yes. of them. One is the mother of Jesus. One is the mother of Jesus' brothers, James and Joses. Mother of Jesus, okay. Mary, so, Mary of Joses. And that, that the mother of, of Jesus' brothers is not Jesus' mother. It's I her see. sister. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Why would they have two girls in the same family named Mary? So mm -hmm. this is a, a problem a little bit. But here's what's going on. According to St. Hegesippus, St. Hegesippus was a Jewish nobleman who became a Christian. And he met and interviewed the sons of St. Jude, and the, excuse me, the grandsons of St. Jude the Apostle. And they explained that Clopas was the full brother of St. Joseph, and his wife Mary was the sister-in-law of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm. So Jesus' brothers are in fact the children of his uncle and aunt. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. And I'm not... I'm not coming up with this from something else. I'm using the Bible to show that the yes. mother and father of Jesus' brothers are not Mary and Joseph. You can tell your grandchildren yes. that the preacher does not know how to read the Bible carefully enough. And he okay. better learn to read the Bible more carefully. Yes. Secondly... Now we can take, take a look at that first, because that's something you can demonstrate. Secondly, you then go to the gospel, and the angel Gabriel says to the Blessed Mother, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Does that sound like the greeting to a sinner? No. And then Elizabeth, later on, in the same chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, calls her the most blessed woman. When it says, blessed are you among women, that's the yes. Aramaic and Hebrew and Arabic way to say you're the most blessed woman. Yes. And so that's an idiom in their language. So she is more blessed than any other woman, including Eve. 
And she's more blessed because Eve was created without sin, but fell into sin later. Our Lady was also conceived without sin, but never fell into it. Our Lady, and I don't know about the minister, but in my neighborhood, we didn't say negative things about our friends' moms. Yeah. I don't think our Savior Jesus wants people going around saying that his mom's a sinner. Yes. I don't think that's a good yes. idea. That's a good idea. That makes sense? Yes, yes. Father, Father what country sense. are you from? Uh, excuse me? Which country are you from originally? Oh, I am from uh, Baghdad, Iraq. Aha. Samit min sotik. Innik min the sharka ausati. God bless you. I speak Arabic. Yes. I speak Arabic and a little bit of Chaldean. Good for you. Good for you. Well, you're welcome. Tell them to, they need to study a little bit more carefully, okay? I will do that. Thank you so much. God I bless you. I appreciate it very much. You're Thank welcome. Let us now go to an email from uh, Mary Josephine in Pennsylvania. It says, Hi, Father Mitch, I'm well aware that gossiping is a sin. However, I'm confused as to if or when it becomes a mortal sin. Can you help clear this up for me? Yeah. Here's what makes something a mortal sin. It is grave matter and a, and a serious matter. So, you know, it's always, always a sin to steal. But if you steal a pack of gum from a store, that's not the same as taking $500 from the store. One really hurts the business, the other one less so. Although both are wrong, so it's more serious to steal the large amount of money. That's when it becomes mortally sinful. Now, with gossip, it's something similar. You can say, well, I can't believe that this woman does not have the kind of clothes to make to match. No, or they would say that about me, except everything I wear is black. So my clothes match. But that's the only way I, can, I know how to make But I say, oh, he's just got such terrible taste. Uh, and he doesn't even know how to get his clothes to match. Um, that's nothing. That's gossip, but it's not a big deal. But if you start to gossip, well, did you know that that hussy is out there and she's chasing Mary Jane's husband? And I saw them. I, I met somebody who said they saw them and things like that. Then you are damaging their, their uh, reputation. If it's true, how are you going to fix it? And if it's not true, you got to say that it's false. That's a very serious damage to somebody's reputation. And you have to be very, very careful. Uh, gossip is generally not a good idea. You know, um, and most of the news agencies need to learn that. A lot of times that's what they're doing, both right and left. All right, and then we have an email from Jan. Dear Father Mitch, God, God did not create anything evil. Are demons, like those who Jesus sent to the swine, fallen angels, followers of Lucifer, or are they something else? Jan, no, they're fallen angels. 
These, the, 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 all the demons were created as angels and at some point, using their free will, they chose not to follow God, not to love God, not to obey Him. And by choosing that, that's what made them demonic. And we have to pay close attention to this. You can recognize, Jesus, our Lord, teaches us, you can recognize uh, the evil spirit in three ways. One, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So deception is one thing. Second, that the, Satan is a murderer. So those who use murder and the killing of the innocent, they are forces following Satan. And thirdly, those who try to manipulate you with guilt because the devil is called the accuser of our brethren in the book of Revelation chapter 12. So that's what you look for. Make sure you avoid all three of those elements of the demonic. Well, Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and I also happen to bring with me uh, something I just want to mention to you to keep in mind uh, EWTN so that you keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you, and thank you all. Mm -hmm.